Welcome to the Cafe Truth Podcast. Join me, your host, Kevin, in exploring Stoic philosophy and how we can use it to create a more intentional life, free from excuses and self-pity, even in the midst of challenges. I also chat with good friends and special guests on occasion to take on the mysteries of life using the lens of Stoicism and other philosophies, talking about everything from spirituality, entrepreneurship, digital nomadship, and much more. We do our best to make every episode thought-provoking and practical for everyday life, so stay tuned. So I'm really excited to present this chat, this interview, with a fellow named Paul Higgins. And Paul Higgins is someone who I think really represents what Stoicism is all about. It's not just what he believes or his philosophy, but it's how his philosophy has empowered him to lead a really exceptional life, really on the cutting edge, I would say, and an extremely brave one as well. You know, um, As you'll hear about Paul Higgins, uh, whereas most people uh, who found themselves, who would find themselves in, in Paul's situation in, the, in his shoes, per se, might feel like they want to give up, uh, that this is just too much for them to handle, Instead, as he was um, receiving uh, pretty fatiguing um, medical treatments, he decided to start his a new company, write a book, and really shift a lot of his focus to ways that he could make other people's lives better. So he, he really just adopted an intent to give more and help people uh, learn what he knew, which was a lot of expertise in business. But what really you know, impressed me about his story was just that attitude that he has. Uh, and he talks about being in, um, getting treatment and nurses coming by to just in shock and just say, what, what is up with you? You're like no patient we've seen. So he'll get into the story, we'll get into the story, but um, I think it's a fascinating example of someone who's really living Stoicism, not just someone who's knowledgeable about Stoicism. So let's get into it. Without further ado, I present this chat with Paul Higgins. Well, Paul, um, I'm really excited to have you on the show, um, honored to have your, your presence and, and for you to share your experience with us. I will step back and just say that I, I uh, heard you on another podcast um, a few months ago, and uh, I think it was Misfits and Rejects was the name of the podcast. Yes. And uh, the guy on there, uh, he's part of a, a business network that I'm a part of called the, the Dynamite Circle. Um, and so when I, you know, I listened to a number of his episodes, I've listened to a bunch of them, but when I heard yours, I was really struck um, by your story. And it took me to, by surprise, because I, I know he doesn't necessarily, um, covers people of all walks of life, but really your story came across as one um, that was pretty unique in the sense of, of just being able to overcome challenges and live a really incredible life despite despite what you know what what the challenges and ups and downs that, that you know you've gone through and what most of us uh, can have thrown at us sometimes, but not all of us. And so I I think f- uh, hearing your story was very inspirational. I was um, as someone who, as my listeners know, I'm a big fan of of the Stoic philosophy in terms of how to. Uh, think about how to um, confront uh, challenges in life. I really was taken by it, so I've, so I'm, I've been excited to talk to you, and I was really grateful that you you uh, were willing to, to come on and, and join the show. Oh, look, I really appreciate your kind words, the invitation to come on the show, and I'm really excited to be here. Well, this is great. Um, let's. I think a good place to start, um, of course, for, for those of you who, for our listeners who don't really know too much, um, I think, first of all, you know, just to get an idea about what you currently, uh, what keeps you busy, you are 
you run a, a company, an organization um, that trains high-level uh, coaches and other business entrepreneurs. Is that true? Yeah, so so mainly service-based business owners. So most of my clients have a similar story to me, left corporate, now running their own business, and they typically get to sort of high six, early sevens, and realize that they're the only person that's uh, responsible for sales, and uh, they want to do a lot more than just sales. So my job is to help them, you know, over a 12-week period, build a sales system so that they can, uh, you know, still be involved in sales, but the business doesn't go south the minute they walk out to take, you know, five days off of their family to uh, to enjoy themselves. Nice. Uh, that is definitely up my alley. As I mentioned, um, I'm a big fan of, of that. Uh Kind of mindset, you know, I mentioned that we're part of something called the, the Dynamite Circle, which is really founded on the notion of, of lifestyle design in terms of your business and making sure that you're paying attention to the things that matter most in life. So I was, again, I, I saw that in some of your bio, um, and I'd love to get more into that. But I think before we do, I'd like to get into your story a little bit and sort of set the stage for our listeners. Um, could you perhaps... And we can even start from more of the present or the, or recent present. Um, could you start with what inspired you to build this organization? You, you call it Build, Live, and Give. And where did you come up with that idea? You know, where were you when you had that idea? And feel free to dive into any of the backstory that, that kind of got you to that point. Yeah, so you're right. I've, uh, build, Live, Give is my main, uh, call it my you know, product or service. Uh, business and then uh, my personal site is paulhigginsmentoring.com which uh, that only came about last year late last year but uh, in short you know I left corporate and uh, was lucky enough to work for Coca-Cola it was a fantastic company but sugar especially in Australia became uh, public enemy number one and uh, also I, I because of uh, my health condition, I just couldn't continue. I didn't want to go overseas in short, and for me to really progress much further than a director here in Australia was to go uh, offshore. So I uh, left, I became a coach uh, to begin with of coaching executives, and I realised that two things. One is that they faced a lot of the issues I couldn't solve with being in corporate and uh, all the opportunities. And the second was that I was a much better mentor than coach. You know, the true definition of coaching is, you know, it lies within the coachee and you ask questions so that they come to the answer. But, you know, after 18 years at Coca-Cola, I've, I've been a prolific knowledge consumer all of my career. It was just hard to sit there and not say, well, actually, you know what? I had that exact same thing once and this is exactly what I did. So I'm not telling you to do that, but that this is my experience. Not to be able to do that. That was a bit hard. So I moved from there into coaching, or mentoring, I should say, small businesses. And um, yeah, set up an outsourcing business, a tech business. Uh, sold the tech business in 2019, divested the virtual assistant business in around 2016 due to my health. And I've got a condition called polycystic kidney disease. And uh, my nephrologist or my kidney specialist said to me around 2016, Paul, uh, keep doing this and you'll miss one of the greatest gifts anyone can receive. And I'm like, how what's that? I've already had kids and I've already married and I've had a great career. She's like, grandkids, right? <laughs> I want you to see your grandkids. So uh, long story short, I had to divest the outsourcing business, kept the tech, but I ran it as a silent partner before we uh, exited. And um, then that led me into, well, what can I do with traveling the world, looking after my health and basically working from a hospital bed and that's when I came across Masterminds. And yeah, I've been uh, running a mastermind, group coaching, one-on-one -on -one mentoring, call it whatever you like, but that's what I've been doing since 2016. So uh, I'm going to zoom in on that a little bit. You mentioned something that you could, what could I do to, to, to you know, basically run a company from a hospital bed? At that moment, were, were you in a hospital bed when that when that company was born, basically? No. So 2016, I was at about 15% kidney function. Okay. And I, you know, the, the, the key reason to stay with your natural kidneys, even though at 15%, it's, it's, it's not a, 
it's a great feeling. Like if you haven't slept for a couple of days or if you if you drink alcohol and dr- drank too much alcohol, it feels like that 24-7. So life's not great, but you know that on average dialysis, you might last 10 years. And if you're lucky enough to get a kidney transplant, you'll last about 20 on average. So the longer you worked your your own. So, you know, I just kept, just kept facing, uh, you know, like I, I, they call it kidney fog. So when you get kidney fog, you basically, all the toxins sit in your head because your kidneys can't filter them. And, you know, you just can't remember things. So I became, I was always a note taker. I was, you know, using technology. I've done it all my life. Coke was very good for knowledge management. And I just, you know, had to build a, a virtual brain because my normal brain just couldn't process like it, it used to. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was, so, so I, I set that up. I was already unwell, but I wasn't in hospital. But in 2018, it was when I had a, a an operation that went very south. I nearly lost my life, but then I went on dialysis. And then in 2019, I, I got the kidney transplant. So for most of 2000, or the back half of 2018, most of 2019, yeah, I was in hospital more than not and wrote a book and uh, had my podcast and service clients around the world whilst, yeah, effectively, um, you know, uh, been in hospital. And thank goodness. Now we're recording this in 2021, but just thank goodness I was so fortunate a to get a, a, a live uh, kidney uh, from someone, and the second thing is that it was pre-COVID because I know I know just you know how devastating it's been for for people who are in hospital through through COVID and how challenging it's been. Absolutely, yeah. No, I think about that, and um, the timing is certainly, fun, you know, it was it was very fortunate there. Um, and yet you're somebody who has so much clearly to give to, no matter what position you're in. I remember hearing this on the other podcast that I listened to in your interview where you mentioned that you had decided to write a book while on dialysis. Um, and I've, I've known people um, who, who are on dialysis, and it's, uh, it's something that pulls a lot of energy out of folks from what I've heard. Can you describe... What, you know, you're sitting in a place where there's probably a lot of confusion, a lot of maybe some hopelessness around you. There's a mindset of that for a very good reason. And what is it that maybe helped you be able to push through and say, you know what, actually, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to do something that's beyond, above and beyond what what most people could even think about doing. Um, yeah, could you talk about how, how that came to you? Yeah, look, I think it's... Um... Look, is it genetic because our family, you know, it's 50-50 at birth to have this condition. So most of my family members have passed from it. Certainly the ones that um, earlier, like my grandfather died at 41, et cetera, et cetera. So, and we nearly lost my mum at 44. So I think, um, you know, is part of it genetic that you're just more tenacious because you, you know, inherently you have this condition or the other is just watching my mum and my mum you know looking back now how unwell she was when she had a you know we lost her three times in the opera in the hospital she had a, ended up getting a pacemaker so it really impacted her heart because most people died of kidney on the death certificates was heart failure but it was actually because the kidneys had collapsed and it put so much pressure on the heart that ultimately your heart failed and um yeah so mum was sort of just shy of not making it through that's when we all got uncovered but mum just she was always helping someone she was very community minded always helping others and she always had the view that you know i'm not going to talk about my woes i'm just going to help others and i think that uh, brilliant lesson that mum taught me is what i took into dialysis and you know i thought god some people are going to be on dialysis for you know 10 15 years like my mum they couldn't get a transplant i was on there for six months i thought let's just make the most of this and i was very fortunate that some people that are on for a long time get incredibly cold so you walk in and it's like you know it's 38 degrees outside of fahrenheit let's call it you know um 100 fahrenheit and then they've got beanies on, gloves. It's like they're in the Antarctic. Um, but because I wasn't on for that long, I didn't have that. And a lot of people cannot sit up. They sit up, they faint. 
etc. So they've got to lie down. And a lot of them also have, um, oh, gee, I should remember the name of it. Uh, it'll come to me in a moment. But it's basically, it looks like a tennis ball in your arm. And that's where the needle goes in and they can't move their arm for four and a half hours. Right? So for me, I got it lucky. I was on for six months. I could sit up. And, you know, as soon as that dialysis machine switched on, my brain fog left. Right? I was like, oh, my God, all the toxins are out. Now I can think again. So I was so enthusiastic that, you know, I'd already started the book. I thought, well, why don't I use this? It's three times a week, four and a half hours. I'm just going to work. And, and the nurses just, yeah, they said, oh, we've never seen anyone do that. And they were, you know, I think they were intrigued um, by what I was doing, but you know, literally they'd say, I can't, four and a half is up. I'm like, no, come on, just give me another half an hour. Just like, even if I just sit here, I want to, they're like, no, next patient's coming in, get off. But they're like, we've never known anyone to want to stay longer in dialysis. It's quite unique. So yeah, what, you know, and, and it was all about helping others. I thought, well, yeah, instead of worrying about my woes, why don't I write this book to help others, people leave corporate to, to run their own business. If they can do that more successfully than me, that's great. And like I said, mum inspired me. Wow, that's a beautiful, that's a beautiful bit there. Um, you know, I think I can, you know, knowing how the mind works for most of us, when we are given a clear runway to think, it's very easy to get into the habit of, oh, let me worry. Let me worry about the next you know, 10 or 20 years or even the next year and imagine all these dark clouds that are ahead. And so we put a lot of our brain to use for that stuff and it just shows a little bit of that difference of something that was unique in you where when that runway opened up for you in terms of what can I think about, you went right to the, okay, well, this is great. Let me try to, let me take advantage of that. There's also a, an element to that, which I saw throughout your bio of just a, a sense of gratitude in numerous areas when, when so you know, quote unquote bad things would happen, you would reflect about, oh, this is a, this is good because, and, it, you know, it reminded me of, there's a, you know, there's lots of great concepts about gratitude in general, but of, as this being a stoic podcast, um, you know, there's a, there's a quote from Marcus Aurelius that says, Do not indulge in the dreams of having what you have not, but reckon up the chief of the blessings of what you do possess. And so, you know, for me, this is very much pulling, you know, you mentioned at the beginning, you haven't dabbled into stoicism so much, but as I read your bio, to me, it's just all stoicism. It's really, and it's, and it's of course, it's many things. Of course, it's many philosophies, but it really speaks to the heart of what stoicism is about for me. Um, just that sense of, of being grateful about the opportunities. Can you talk about, you know, the, the motivations to help others? As you mentioned, like, you wanted to see other people quit their jobs and go live their dreams. What was that about for you, and, and what, did you, what did you have a taste of, I guess, that you wanted to share that with others? Yeah, and, and just as you were talking then, Kevin, I was thinking also um, my father, so just quickly, my father had polio. He was one of the last people in Australia to, to have polio. And he opened, he rarely ever opens up about it. But thinking back as a kid, he was the same, right? Here's a guy that from his knee down, effectively had no muscle on his leg. Um, he missed all of schooling, or all of his primary school he missed. So imagine if you missed you know, six or seven years of school and next minute you get thrown into a class where you've got a you know, significant limp, you're actually strapped on a board, right? And with wheels and people used to drag him around. And, you know, like, so for him, you know, he, he, he also showed the way that you, you work on what you have rather than what you haven't. So I think that was the other part. And for me, uh, it was a bit of planning quickly, but, um, you know, for me, when I left in 2011 Coca-Cola, I'd set up for this day, right? So in 2018, when I had this operation, and basically my kidney was that large, they were removing that they tore my main artery to my heart and I was bleeding to death. And, you know, I've got a, a significant scars to, to prove that that happened. But the surgeon walked in and I was in intensive care. It was, state, you know, yeah, it wasn't a good look. And basically said, you know what, like I made... A split second decision but i would not have been able to save you if you hadn't i've prepared yourself 
left corporate and prepared yourself the way that you had, right? And I think in that moment, I thought, well, you know what? I've worked this hard. I can enjoy this moment because, yes, you know, the surgeon made a good decision, even though he shouldn't have done keyhole surgery in the beginning, but that's a whole different thing. But I thought also, you know, that my, my willingness to help others and all was like, well, you know, I know that by doing the hard work, it does pay off, right? And, and you know, I had a second chance at life. So I think that combined fueled the book. And, and the book was really, like you said, around corporate. It was, you know, like you get taught so many skills in corporate, but they're definitely very different to running your own business. And for five years, I chased my tail and, and did a lot of things that, you know, I wish I hadn't. And I just like likened it to a, a highway where, you know, the quickest path is to stay on that highway, but you get so many distractions and turn off so many dead ends, so many towns that you think it's going to be X, it's Y and et cetera. So I just wanted to give my perspective on, look, if you just follow this, you're going to stay on that highway longer and you will get to success, whatever that is. So that's was really my motivation to help others through the book. It's, you know, I was reading uh, again in your bio about that and it, you, you mentioned that you had had all the success at Coca-Cola and we can get into that in a minute, but you went from from that and then you sort of assumed that all that success would easily translate over to becoming an entrepreneur and that next five years filled filled with yeah some triumphs but also some really some big challenges even you said even periods of despair what were what were some of those like what was some of that despair uh or those periods of despair and what kept you going through some of that yeah look i'm definitely like i used to avoid telling people what i did at coca-cola right so i used to just say i was a forklift driver so people wouldn't want a job or etc and soon as no no discredit to forklift drivers but as soon as you say you're a forklift driver people in my party really think oh well you know there's not much uh, i can gain from this Uh, so i used to always hide my identity but when you go from being a director at coca-cola to walking into a networking event someone says what do you do and you're in your own business and you really don't know what you do it it was very very difficult and and soul-searching really so it wasn't the fame or the money or the prestige that I was after it was like you know just just treat me like um, I'm the person I am with the experience I've got but all of a sudden you're like just thrown in another world it was like no one knows what I've done and no one really cares what I did all they want is a result so it took me a while to realize that that's all people want you know um that they want a result for themselves and it's not about you so it took me a while to do that and yeah it's hard like I agreed to amount of money with my wife which I recommend everyone does to say look you know for 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 my wife she wanted security you know we were used to a a high a good lifestyle she she didn't want a materialistic lifestyle she just wanted to be safe right and she came from a family where that wasn't always the case so um I just said, look, well, this is the amount of money that I'm going to give you each month. This is when I'm going to do it. Everything's great. Now, what I didn't realize is that it normally takes twice as long to earn half as much. So, you know, if you are watching this and you are starting on a new venture, especially with COVID, if COVID's meant that, you know, it's triggered a movement in your life or someone's, you know, gone and done that because there's a lot of people, unfortunately, that are losing their jobs, you know, just just be re- realistic and make sure that your partner um, is really involved and be conservative and know that you've got a runway or you're going to take a period of time. If you want to fast track that, I suppose you can always try my book because <laughs> uh, it might might help with some of that. But yeah, I think there's some of the lessons I learned in the times of despair. And always have a mentor, always have someone that's ahead of you, not too far ahead of you but is ahead of you enough that you can learn from the the uh, the diversions they took off the highway so you can uh, stay on it. Nice. Yeah, that's that makes sense. I, I can understand, having come from the corporate world, you do lose a lot of that identity going into the entrepreneur world. Um, and, and it's funny how, especially at the beginning years when you were just trying to find, find your, your way, I guess, um, it's hard to point, you know, it's hard with those, in those networking uh, 
networking meetings or, or meetups, just trying to, you know, trying to navigate that world. And also I imagine this, this, you know, going from 18 years of having people pretty much look up to you. I mean, you're the director, you know, uh, you're the director. So the, you are the top, uh, the top guy that everybody wants to be in that company. And then suddenly you're on your own and all that's gone. It's just, you know, vanished away so you know my hat's off to you for being able to pull that off and you know it's taking that dive and then coming back up again like that plane just pulling up on the stick there um that's that's neat let's talk i'd like to hear a little bit more about the coca-cola experience because you know again we're looking at a for me it was looking at a story of somebody who really um took life by the horns with a lot of tenacity there, a lot of ambition. Um, as I, I'm going to read a little bit of what is on your uh, uh, bio. You say at the age of 18, you were diagnosed uh, with PKD. As the doctor explained my condition to me, I finally started to understand the magnitude of the situation. However, once the initial shock wore off, I felt a sense of clarity that I had never felt before. I guess it's true what they say, when you hit the lowest point, you are open to the greatest changes. And um, I want to, this part I really love because again, this is really to me stoicism. You say, while inheriting PKD was out of my hands, I realized that the way I deal with the condition is well within my control. That is eventually, you know, again, this is the, the, the fundamental jewel of stoicism. If you could put it into a sentence, that's it. Uh, not one to wallow in self-pity. I decided that at that instant, I would do my best and focus on what I can control. Uh, and so that... There's a, there's a lot there, obviously, and before we get to the coke part, I would just like to kind of take a moment, if we can go back to that to that moment. Um, you obviously knew this could have, this was a possibility because of your grandfather uh, and perhaps your mother, but can you elaborate what it felt like that day to get to get that news and what was going through your head at the time? Yeah, look, I'll never forget the moment that I walked out of the clinic and I just looked at mum. She wasn't just got out of the cast, turned around and looked at me and she was just absolutely heartbroken, you know, to all the memories of her dad losing her life, you know, her, it all came back and she felt incredibly guilty. Like, you know, I've passed this condition on and, you know, I just went over and said, mum, it's got nothing to do with you, right? You know, you've given me so much in life. This is not what you've given me, right? You've given me the ability to get through this. You've given me the ability to live a great life, help others without being inhibited by it. That's what you've given me and that's what I'm going to do. And and in a way, look, I was 18, you know, I don't think I was that mature 18-year-old, uh, but I sort of thought, you know what, like the better life you live and the more you achieve, the more that mum's not going to feel that guilt right like so i i could you know woe me which is only going to make mum feel worse or i could take it on the chin and go okay well let's just become high performing and do what you can to be high performing and you know not think about this and i never told anyone about the condition you know i just sort of went on and did my thing and, and to be honest back then you didn't know like it was hard like an 18 year old to say that we don't know if it's 20 you know, 20, 30, 40, 50, when you're going to have kidney failure, we don't know. But what we do know is if you do these things, you're going to fast track it. And if you don't do these things, you can prolong it. That's all I really knew. But yeah, that day, yeah, God, I can still, I can see, I've got a, like a, a video memory. I wish I had a photographic memory so I could uh, breeze through life a little easier. But I, I can remember any moment in my life, in my life like a, a video, and I can still see her face then and... Uh, yeah, the great thing quickly is that um, so that the person that donated the kidney was actually my best friend for, for 30 years and it was like mum's, you know, an addition to our family and uh, which was just an amazing thing that, that he did. And um, so uh, the, the transplant was in February 2019. Mum was so unwell, like for three years we said, oh, she won't be at Christmas, she won't be at Christmas, but she lasted and she actually saw Brendan give me a transplant, saw me be healthy, 
and then she passed in uh, July of 2019. So it was like that that moment in life where you know she she was so heartbroken. It was like she had relief on the way out that you know I was so healthy after my transplant, and she she'd known the guy for 30 odd years. It was like you know it was like yeah some redemption for her that she could go and you know once again she even up to the last breath sadly we didn't get to say goodbye we were with her but even to the last breath she was doing everything to still carry on to live life she was not complaining you know she was just an amazing person so I was yeah very 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 lucky yeah it sounds like she gave you and your father even you mentioned uh, some of the tools to be able to navigate yeah, the, 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 you know, perhaps perhaps there's a physical component of being, you know, you pass down something. You know, I'm I'm a type one diabetic, so I I received some genes oh, that I'm dis- disappointed with, um, and I was actually diagnosed similarly, 17. So you get these genes that you think, oh, that's not fair. And I remember feeling for a while a lot of envy to classmates or whatever, but. Similarly, I can send. I mean, I can you know I can relate in many ways to this notion of of the gifts that your family also brings you, which is some of the, the ways to navigate through these challenges. And can you you know if if you could go back to that eighteen year old self, who's in that still state, maybe you know he's obviously he's going to shine it on, but maybe there's still some worry there about like, well, what is my future going to look like? What what, what could happen? Given what you've been through, you've been on the other side of that now, what would you say to, to him, to, to 18-year-old Paul? Look, uh, I, I definitely say don't party as hard. Because, <laughs> you know, I was high-performing in everything, and I was probably high-performing in having fun. So I think uh, that, um, I think I would have, I would have understood gone and actually researched my condition more sort of hit it so I, I think that's a second thing and, and probably the third thing uh, is not push myself physically probably as hard as what I did so um, you know I, I'm incredibly compulsive when it comes to sport like so once I lock onto a sport you can't hold me back and one of the sports that I locked on to was cycling, and especially cycling near the end. So one of the worst things for a kidney is, you know, to dehydrate it. And I used to ride, you know, one of my races was 200 and, well, let's say it was just over 200 miles, uh, three mountain peaks in a day. And, you know, I used to ride in so 120 degree, uh, Fahrenheit weather. You know, so I used to do all these things, and mum used to say, do you really, should you really be doing that? And I think my high performance and ambition got ahead of my me really taking care of myself. Now, my brother didn't do those things. He's got the same condition. He's still got perfect kidney function. He's six and a half years younger, right? So I don't know is the short answer. But I do think working in a stressful environment like Coca-Cola probably didn't help. It's a stress traveling the world, always on a plane, always intensive meetings, and pushing my body off outside of work on the bike are probably some things that I would have done differently now. Gotcha. In terms of, um, you know, I guess, you know, as I was reading that, one question that I, I guess I had was um, uh, did you. Do you think that insightful perspective of just knowing what was in your control and what was out of your control? Do you think that that came from also your 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 mom or your your grandfather? Or do you think there was something kind of innately in you that just had this wisdom that just knew? Like, yeah, look, good question. I don't know. Is it fifty fifty? I don't know, right? But um, yeah, look, I think definitely mum mum helped a lot. I felt a lot of guilt myself. I nearly. You know, I should have really, if I was mature enough at the time, I would have said, sorry, mum, I didn't really know what your condition was like. And certainly as I got worse, we used to, it was great because I could talk to mum about it. But I, you know, I never really said to her, God, you know, you're amazing for what you used to do. Work full time, you know, manage the house, look after, you know, two boys. It was a lot of work for her and she just did it, right? Um, but the other thing is I think is mum 
and her family are a type as well like you know when they do something they do it really well and you know so i think that was something i could have learned more from mum that to know when to, to back off right you, you don't have to help everyone and you don't have to always be putting your health in a way at risk by just pushing yourself all the time so that's probably something that yeah, in reflection, you know, it's like your greatest strength is often your uh, becomes a, a weakness. I think that in the gene, family gene, um, was yeah, it was a bit of a challenge. Well, it's a, you know, I hear what you're saying. You can look back, and you seem like a pretty reflective person when you look back and and see you're a coach. So you have to do that with other people, right? And and so it's only it's only responsible for us to look back at ourselves and do the same and say, well, what could I have done better? But I have to say as an outsider, um, there is something to the notion of, of having an attitude of, of again, embracing, embracing life and saying, you know, I mean, I have a short time ahead of me, possibly, maybe, you know, again, you don't know if it's going to be 20 years, you know, if it's going to be 40 20 years is still not that long and to say you know, I'm going to make the most of this I'm going to go out there and and experience life um, you know there's another the other extreme to that is well I, I have a condition I'm not going to go outside anymore I'm not going to I'm not going to do anything dangerous I'm just going to stay I'm not going to party I'm not going to do anything exciting or anything even remotely dangerous and I'll just live this very controlled very protected life and you get again knowing that things are, uh, you know, a lot of times it's up in the air. You don't know if that would necessarily have made any difference or much of a difference. So there is something exciting about about the attitude of saying I'm gonna I'm gonna go and and jump in, per se. Um, you went into again graduated college. You you go into Coca Cola. You start at the bottom. It seems like or not at the bottom, but you you start pretty humbly and you pay your dues. And then you rise up to director of, of marketing of Coca-Cola. Was it Coca-Cola Australia as the business unit or was it the entire? Yeah, so so there's, uh, if you think of the Coke system, there's a franchisor and a franchisee. So if you think McDonald's is another example, you know, the people that own the stores and then you've got the people that own the overall company. So I work for the people that own the stores, the bottlers. So... Uh, that that was who I worked for. So that was called Coca-Cola Amatol. So, you know, within the Coke system, but yeah, it was the bottler, not the Coke company. It was in, a lot of times I was asked to go uh, and work for the uh, Coca-Cola company, but the times that I was asked, my actual wife's parents, both of them had cancer at the time. So we chose to stay in Australia and support them rather than, um, you know, uh, go overseas. Gotcha. So it's a, it... it... It became a, a $700 million business unit that you're running at, and you're marketing for at one point. Um, and then as, as you're doing that, you have a family going on. Um, you have lots of um, uh, stuff you're doing in the physical uh, exercise and, and uh, sports space. I liked there was a story I heard about um, your brother doing Taekwondo, was it? And... Uh, yes. I enjoyed the part of, of um, him bringing you in to, uh, to do some demonstrations and uh, throwing you on the ground, if that's right. Is that right? Yeah, look, basically, uh, he it was, a, it was a little unfortunate. He was going to the Olympics representing Australia and, um, yeah, uh, broke his ankle uh, just before um, he qualified. So that was a but he was very good at it, and I suppose six and a half years older than he when he was younger. Maybe you know we used to do a bit of um, pl uh, play boxing, I suppose, uh, and we sort of you can all envisage how that might have ended. So yes, when he got the opportunity to pay me back, uh, normally uh, we used to do taekwondo, and you all line up and spar, right, and everyone's looking at each other, and you know. Um, but, yeah, when my brother and I, everyone would stop and he would, uh, yeah, he would pulverise me. And I'd get I'd get home and my wife would say, oh, not again. I'd have bruises all over me. But um, anyway. That's, that's cool. That's so you come from a, yeah, it's, it's neat. I mean, there's definitely a pattern there where you, you have a, 
um, a family culture of really of striving, of achieving, and clearly that's a gift. Um, there's a fortune aspect to that, uh, but at the same time, there's a lot of folks that that have gifts that they don't, you know, they don't decide to take on from their family. And I, I appreciate that you've embraced that because um, a lot of times I think we do, whether it's a mentor that we have in our life, whether it's somebody uh, from our family or someone outside of our family, we have the opportunity to either listen and, and absorb what they're, the wisdom that they have or to push it away and not get the point. And so, um, you know, for you, was, was there any element of wanting to push back on some of the stuff that you saw your parents do? Or was there just a sense of, of this is a good idea, this is, this is the right way to approach life? No, no, I think they, they were, you know, great parents, great environment. I think certainly when I joined Coca-Cola, because my father was there and it was, you know, back then it was like uh, they wanted to stop nepotism they didn't want me to work for the company anyway I did and I suppose I always really wanted to set myself apart so I didn't want to be seen as someone that you know got a job because dad's uh, a senior manager so I worked really hard I think I would have done that anyway but I think that was also even more of a driver for me to prove that you know I'm here on my own merits not uh, because of my dad nice that's great well you know as we circle back um 2019, you mentioned you have uh, a kidney transplant thanks to your, your best friend. Um, and you decided to start uh, build, uh, build, give, live, right? Am I, am I saying that right? Build, build live, give. I knew it was one of those. Um, <laughs> yeah. I was reading, I started to read the book a little bit and noticed um, uh, you mentioned that this is like the first book of three. Um, can you talk, and I think you even mentioned, you know, uh, very candidly, you know, I'm, am I perfect at everything? No. Have, am I, have I done my business to the, to the best? No, I haven't. Have I, uh, have I given all that I, I can? Have I, am I living to the, to the best that I can? And you were, again, candid to admit like, hey, I'm still working on this. Can you talk a little bit about that? Um, where are you with the, the give and the live part? And when are those books about to, uh, when are we going to see those books down the road as well? Um, I'd like to hear more about that. This, it was an intriguing comment you made. Yeah, so uh, I'm sure uh, people watching and listening now, you know, you've made a New Year's resolution, right? And the minute it comes out your mouth, you think, why did I say that? And that was a bit like the book. But worse, you know, I'll put it in print, right? So, so, and there's been, you know, thousands of people that have read the book. Uh, so to be honest, I don't think I've got another two books as a trilogy in me, right? So what I'm going to do is uh, revise the book just to make it one book. And then what I have got in mind is doing some other books. So all my podcast guests that I have on Build, Live, Give, I'd like to do a, pod, a summary of their stories, get their word out rather than mine and uh, also maybe a sales-specific book as well. So I think that's, so I'll end up doing three books, but they just won't be a continuation of Build, Live, Give. So can you talk about then how do you incorporate the live and give into that, into that business side of things? Um, as we mentioned, I was, as we were talking earlier, um, we're both been doing the entrepreneurial thing for a little while. And so um, it's very easy to when you're on your business journey to just think about how I, how can I make my personal numbers and how can I achieve the goals that I want and get you know the type of you know whatever the house the car all the stuff that we can really prioritize it's very very easy and very very common for for a lot of folks in our world to not even bother with the live and give part especially the give part um, and so how have you been able to incorporate that, that those two elements into it and and also even work with others to help them achieve some of that. Yeah, so the first thing I want to say is, uh, if you're listening or watching this from America at the moment, congratulations, because you guys do the giving part far better 
and what we do here in Australia is, is a total, your, your level of philanthropy, giving. So on my podcast, I always ask people, you know, what's a community or a charity you're passionate about and why? And Americans are, are brilliant at answering that, where Australians are like, mm, I don't really have an answer for that. So first, well done to, to all of you. I think you do that really well. I know at the moment you're getting a bad, bad rap around the world, but I think there's a lot of unique goodness there in, in America that, you know, yeah, we, um, well, I think the old saying is like a toilet roll that, you know, uh, you know, as a partner, don't, don't give me the, you know, the long list of things that are wrong. It wouldn't be, it'd be nice now and again to give me the things that are, that are good. And I think you do that really well. So for me, so the live component is an example for me was taking my kids overseas and giving them a world experience, uh, of educating through doing. So, you know, they went to good schools. They didn't go to the top schools in, in the country. But what I wanted to do is supplement the, by taking them to the Philippines, South Africa, you know, all through Europe, but countries where they realise just how fortunate we have it. So that was an example of living. So I've built my business to be able to still be with my family and travel the world, whereas in the old days it was, you know, corporate uh, business or first class flying the, around the world and leaving my family at home. So that was the live example. And then the give is that all the proceeds of the book and also the proceeds uh, percentage of my business goes to the Purple House. And the Purple House is for Indigenous people, so uh, Aboriginals, you, you may be familiar with that. But um, they've got a centre that helps people in remote communities have dialysis. It's a, it's a wonderful uh, business. So, you know, that's an example of how I give back. And I also, um, COVID's sort of um, throw thrown a spanner in the works, but I also um, make sure that uh, I, I give back to um, to people that are about to go through a transplant. So I do talks, etc., and and help them, you know, know what it's like because that for me was was life changing when I someone stood up and I could ask them questions about what they were going through. I think that was great. So that that's an example for me. And then I just try to get my clients to have a similar thing. So how do we set up a business model that you've got a remote team, you've got the right technology, you know, you've got all the systems in place so that you can actually live and give. You've got the space to do that rather than you know, a lot of people come to me and say, look, you know, I work 40 hours. I'm like, okay, so let's use Toggle. Uh, as a simple app to track it for a week. And they're like, mm, I work 65, 70 hours. I'm like, yeah, you do. So, you know, and, you know, ultimately, you know, sleep is so important. It should be the first question that a physician or a doctor or an MD asks you when you walk in an office. So if you got your eight hours of sleep or seven hours, then the rest of the time, how do we fit the build, live, give in? And that's about changing their business model often and uh, making that... Um, you know, a, a business rather than a job. And I think Michael Hyatt once said, if you don't have a team, you don't have a business. And uh, I think that's very true. Nice. I love that. Um, how did you incorporate it? How did you develop that that notion? Or I, I should say it this way. When did you realize that your business needed that giving that element? And was, was that something that had always been there? Or was there a day where you realized... I'm doing everything well and the revenue is good. I'm, I'm now I'm taking my family abroad. This is great. They're getting a great experience. But, but when did you realize that there's another component, which is the giving part? Look, I think the first time was when I read a book in 1993 called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. You know, and it was always the, the I, you, we, I think was the, the model. But first, you know, look after yourself then you with others, and then we is how do you help a broader. And I think, um, you know, around that 2016 period was, you know, when I decided, I actually heard it on a podcast. Um, someone mentioned Build, Live, Give, and I quickly checked, and there was uh, buildlivegive.com was available, but there was no blg.com. That's a Belgian consulting company. If they are watching this and they... You know, they want to retire and sell it to me, uh, or actually give it to me. Did I say sell it? Yes. Uh, that yeah, that would be great. Give would be great. But um, yeah, so it was that. But I suppose with mum and etc., I was always giving. So then that it was like spot on. That's exactly. And I got to say, like, I don't think I was selfish, but you know, when you're really unwell, it's hard to to be able to 
to give to others, whereas now the name I can better do the name justice because you know I've got less to worry about myself and I can uh, then go and spend more energy again helping others. Well, you've also got um, you've also got something I think called that perspective, right? And as you're helping others who are going into their future not with uncertainties about their health issues and you're able to give them that 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 insight um it really does uh it really does make you somebody who who can give them something that nobody else can or that's just hard to give so i, I really appreciate the fact that you're not squandering this you know these, these experiences and what you've been through you're making sure to pass it forward or and, and to pay it forward i should say um that's something that a lot of us don't do and and uh you know i think about um there's a doctor i follow who um is a diabetic a type one like me and and he grew up about you know he, he was born about 50 years 40 years or so before me through the dark ages we call them diabetes he figured out how to manage his his body in the 70s when no one was listening to him and he went through extreme great lengths to make sure that the rest of the world got this information out even though doctors didn't want to hear about it the medi medical community didn't want to hear about it and he pushed and pushed and pushed and thanks to him a lot of people are are living better lives so you know what you're describing to me is this this attitude of paying it forward um and i'm really just you know i think this is the the first of all it's just fantastic to see but also it's something that as i think is folks that want to practice stoicism we should put on ourselves to, to take up a responsibility or to take that responsibility on to to figure out what ways can we do the same what ways can we pay it forward what information do we have what experiences do we have to make other other people's lives better so i, I really appreciate you modeling that for us and uh and yeah and, and look i've got to say some of the 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 saddest stories that i've heard in hospitals was type 1 diabetes so yeah i really feel for you guys you know i might you know overall mine was a fairly you know it was it was a known cause you know it's treatable etc but type 1 diabetes it's um yeah that's yeah man that's and i'm glad the technology is advancing a lot of friend across the road her daughter has just uh, been diagnosed and now she's got an automatic she doesn't prick herself she's got the automatic where it says to so i know it's leaps and bounds but uh yeah look yeah you guys uh yeah it's a lot more restrictive lifestyle than uh, i ever had yeah i mean it's i i could think of i could think the similar things you know it's funny it's always uh different you know look you look on the other side and either the grass is greener or not but uh i as i read your story i was i was pretty impressed you know it's like when i think what I was thinking about is that, um, and you mentioned this with your grandfather, uh, 40, 50 years ago, in both of our cases, life would have looked, looked a lot different and the, and the treatment options would have been a lot different. So, um, you know, when we're talking about that aspect that you mentioned earlier about gratitude, I, I imagine, like myself, you think about sometimes just, yes, it was hard what you've been through, yes, the challenges are there, but um, it is incredible some of the technology that's, that's been developed and that will continue to be developed uh, in the next you know, 20, 30 years for, for these kind of conditions. Yeah, and, and I think we're so lucky. Like all of my, um, my health bills completely paid now by taxpayers. Now, you know, I, we complain about paying a lot of tax here. Uh, but, you know, it, for when you really are sick, it, it's a fantastic system. But, you know, I've got... Like if I had my condition, I was brought up in you know those two countries I spoke about, South Africa or, or the Philippines, my outcome today would still be very different. Like when you hear people in India that you know, you're meant to be three times a week, four and a half hours, they have to pay for it in India. So they might go once, once a month or twice or three times a month because that's all they can afford. So when you hear stories like that, you know just how fortunate you are, and that's why I think you know my give part is there because I, you know, we, we do have a quite, yeah. There's a lot of people that that uh, are, you know in far tougher conditions yeah. than what we are. It's a really, what, yeah. what I am anyway. Yeah, that's really powerful, and it's something to think about. Um, how can we reach, create a, a larger radius for of our reach, 
and it really doesn't leave that much room. I there's certainly lots of opportunities you could have taken to feel sorry, and I'm sure we I'm sure there were times where you did, and and we all do. But I I have to say that just um, again reading your story really helps. I think any of us who are going through challenges remember. Uh, to be grateful, to, to have that gratitude and, and to keep, and how much and powerful attitude, the attitude you have and what kind of effect that can have on your life. So I've, I really uh, do appreciate you sharing with us today. I know that, again, um, there's probably a lot of business podcasts where you know they only want to hear so much about that side of things. Um, obviously, I'm, I'm intrigued by mostly the, you know, again, a lot of a lot of folks have have problems and challenges, but I really I really appreciate you sharing the story, just because of the way you've approached life, and I and I'm uh, thankful to your family for teaching you that too. Yeah, I'll give you one one quick uh, story. So I'm in hospital. I've got quite a few complications. Blah blah blah, and uh, this particular hospital only serves biscuits, right? So dry biscuits. So who doesn't serve dry biscuits with cheese? right it just doesn't doesn't happen right but this hospital thought they'll do that so everyone's complaining about it it's the first story you hear when you come in the ward it's like oh you know so i thought oh well i'm well enough to actually walk they say go for a walk so i go down to the local supermarkets and aldi i don't know if you've got aldi's in your part of the world but yeah discount anyway so i buy cheese stick it in the nurse's fridge which you're not meant to do i snuck in there and then you know for the people that i felt were kind <laughs> and not complaining about the no cheese biscuits i yeah in the middle of the night snakes, <laughs> <laughs> snakes are starting a bit of a yeah a bit of a trade deal but it's just the way you look at things right so you could sit there complaining that you know there's no cheese or you can come up with a solution right I think that's sort of the way that i live my life it's the way that um like you said, it's my background, but I think um, one thing based on that is if you aren't on the donors list, I know every country has a different policy, but if you aren't, please uh, sign up to be an organ donor because if you hear my story now and that's inspired you, that's because of one person, right? If my best mate hadn't stepped forward, I'd be waiting another six years to try to get a, a transplant. So... Um, yeah, so, you know, uh, if you can, please donate organs. That's the best way you can give. This is it. Yeah, this is the give part. So what, no matter what any of us are doing, one easy way is to check off that box, especially in the U.S. here. We just have to basically check, check a box on, our, I think, our driver's license application. So nothing to it. Um, where can folks find more about you, um, learn more about your teachings and your coaching, What's the best way? Yeah, so mentoring.com is my home site. So that's got my podcast. It's got uh, my assessment where, you know, I, I basically help you answer some questions around your capability to grow for 2021. Uh, so that's definitely the best site. So it's got my podcast. It's got my book. That's that's where it's all at. So it's Mentoring. And you can get to, uh, and so the book as well is for the most part going to help you, and I'll just kind of, what I understand is it's going to help you yeah. get out of uh, maybe a corporate life or, or if you are starting, you've already started your, your, your business, it's going to help you achieve uh, a, a greater level of success. Can, can you give us a little snip, uh, snippet of what to expect if you, if you get the book? Yeah, so, so it's based on five key drivers. Uh, so the first one is personal effectiveness because your time as the owner is most critical. So how do you go about that? Mainly technology VAs, virtual assistants, as an example. Next is your ideal client. So make sure you're niching down. And on your LinkedIn profile, whereas a lot of B2B businesses done these days, that someone doesn't have to work hard to work out how and who you help. Third is the business model. So try to make it recurring revenue as much as possible it's just the gift that keeps giving so make sure your business model funds your lifestyle not the other way around then you've got to sell to that business model and an offer that converts is the number one thing but i go into the details of how to sell sell in a way that COVID is really fast forward so i was already doing that because of my health 
but now you can do that. And the last one is a high-performing team. As Michael says, you know, you need a team. And how do you tap into a team that's remote and also tap into experts that can supplement your skills? So if you do those five things and do those well, you're going to stay on that highway a lot longer. That's awesome. And so the book for folks is Build, Live, Give. The website, again, is paulhickensmentoring.com. Check, check it out, and, and I'll be excited to go through this book. Um, I've gotten a little bit, and I liked what I read so far, so I'm going to continue that. And check out the podcast as well. Thank you, Paul, for, for sharing um, with, with us your insights, really getting into you know, the vulnerable aspects of, of your journey. Um, it's really, I think we, we got a really good sense of, of how to take what you've done and, and replicate it in our lives. So I appreciate you joining us today. Brilliant. Thanks, Kevin. And uh, thanks for you giving back by having your show and uh, giving people like me the opportunity. That's the end of our show. Hopefully you found this discussion interesting. Hopefully you enjoyed it. We have a good time with these discussions. We enjoy them, but they do take a lot of work outside of our normal everyday responsibilities. So one thing you can do if you really if you like what you're hearing if you want to hear more of it you want us to keep doing this go into your podcast app whether that be apple podcasts or google podcasts or spotify stitcher whatever you like to use click on that rate and review link or button and leave us a positive review leave us what you like about the show and let others know about the show it really will help spread the word and continues to help us feel motivated to, to keep doing these and putting these out there. So we, we do this just because we love it. We'd really appreciate your support. And if you have any interesting topics you'd like us to cover, send us an email. I'm at Kevin at CafeTruth.com, and you can reach Steve at Steve at CafeTruth.com. Thanks so much.